happens, we, we get comfortable. We get comfortable. I get comfortable. Henry and I got comfortable. Henry and I spent a lot of time talking about how we got comfortable. And, and some things, you, you know, we allow. You know, when I, when I look at the body of Christ in the midst, uh, sometimes, uh, you, you know, I look at the ministry because we got comfortable with just thinking this is for a few and, and that the only a few are going to come to deeper life teaching, greater understanding. I, I, I've got a different view. I've got a different view that if it's God's Word, and, it's, and, and I believe, frankly, it is, then I think it's for multitudes. I don't think it's for few. I think it's for multitudes. And the mind has to change. My mind, your mind, all our minds, and collectively the minds have to change that God wants people to know He's present. God wants people to hear He's present. And what's going to compel people to come, what's going to change orders, is when it's the assembly. It's not the pastor or the minister or the teacher that does the things. It's when the assembly begins to move. See, see, see I've seen this, and I've, I've, she's not here this morning, but I've shared this with Faith. And I love my mother-in-law dearly, so, uh, so, so I'll take that part off the recording. But I love my, I'm kidding. I love my mother-in-law. And sometimes through our relationship, Faye may have called me and said, Brother Wayne, pray for so-and-so. I want you to pray for so-and-so. And I, and I told her this. In my spirit, if you feel like praying for so-and-so, you pray. If you have someone on your heart you, and they're in the hospital, you go. You, you, you know, because Christ is in you. It's not Christ in a preacher. It's Christ in a body, a, a collective group of people. So, so when the people begin to hear that and they begin to move by the Spirit... See, see, what rocked the world in the apostles' days is they moved. It wasn't just Peter that moved, but there was movement in the people. The people were meeting together house to house. So something had happened in them that compelled them. Think about it. That, that you know, we think we're so busy in today's uh, uh, world. They were breaking bread daily and going from house to house in the book of Acts. Have you ever read that? Now, breaking bread could have been two things. It could mean they were going and Sister Sheila was, Sheila was fixing dinner and we were going to eat. Or it could mean that they're breaking the bread of life from house to house. And, and what... Brother Henry set forth in this fellowship was just that. He set forth a continual breaking of bread. Continuously. You know, you know, a continual searching of the Word. That, that a people would come together in that mindset. I don't, sometimes I know we got yards to mow, we've got things to do, we've, and, and, I'm, and I'm all for that. 
But but our mind has to be set upon, you know, taking time to search the Word. And especially when we come into something called the revelation of Jesus Christ, this, this book is preached by some and not preached probably by many. Many people take this book and just leave it alone because they say, hey, it's too difficult to understand. And for years I've touched pieces of it because that's all I could really touch, to be honest with you. I could tell you what I thought, but I couldn't per se touch it. And if I don't give myself to searching the Word, there's no way I can know it. Now the Lord can make it real. But I, but I want to kind of say to you out of the order of the Lord, and I believe this is the order of the Lord, searching the Word is His order. Okay? So, so what, how, what we do when we search the Word of God is we give God ground to work in. And I, I was thinking, Brother Bob, as I come here this morning, you know, when you hear a lot of Revelation preachers, they've got up timelines. Right? Have you ever seen people teach Revelation? They've got the timelines coming of the mark of the beast and the four beasts coming out of the water and this, that, and the other. And it dawned on me this morning, you do need to know timelines. But the timelines you need to understand and, and what most Christians don't understand, they, they, they recognize these timelines. You know, if you sit under certain ministries, you've heard these timelines. But most Christians don't even know the timelines of the kingdoms of Israel. Or the kingdom of Israel. You know that? Most of us have no idea of Israel's timeline. Because God set up a kingdom in the earth called Israel. And Israel had a timeline. And to understand the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ... I think one of the one of the things you have to understand is the day John was in. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about it yesterday. John was living in a day of a timeline. Okay? So, I go back. And I'll read the first three or four verses so I can say I've read Revelation, but I'm wanting to jump back to John 4. Revelation verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show unto his servants even the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sit and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear witness of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, even of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. All right. Now we're going to get, hopefully in the next few weeks, we're going to get into beholding cometh with clouds. We're going to get into the Son of Man in the church. You know, the vision of John. But this morning we're going to look at this again, and we may one more service. We'll see. But the time at hand. So those timelines are very important. Go back to John 4. Now, now, what in the world does John 4 have to do with the timeline? It has a whole lot to do with it. 
John 4. Jesus had need to go to Samaria. Does anybody know maybe why he had needs to go to Samaria? Anybody want to guess? Anybody know? Do you know, Brother Calvin? The woman at the well. But what, what does the woman at the well represent? Israel. You got it. In the Old Testament, I believe it's in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, God spoke a prophecy concerning Samaria and Judah. And He called Samaria and Judah two harlots. And the woman at the well, do you ever, I don't know, it doesn't dawn on us sometimes, it just dawned on me, the woman at the well was a harlot. She had how many husbands, brother Bob? Five husbands, and the man she was with was not her own. So, so that just dawned on me, to be honest with you, as I'm speaking to you. So God speaks back by, like I said, by Ezekiel or Isaiah, of two harlot women. And I forget their names, but you go find it. I, I've got it somewhere in my mass of notes. But you got these two harlot women, and he tells you they're Samaria and Judah. Well, what had happened with Israel and Judah? Why, why were there two women? Because the kingdom was divided. The kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. If you read, that's what I'm saying, a timeline is very important. The timeline of the Israel-Israeli kingdom or the kingdom of the Israelites, or the kingdom of God, you could call it the kingdom of God, because after Solomon's reign, what happened to it? It was divided. You had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And so when you read the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles, and it's probably throughout some of the other books, but when you read those books, you get a sight of the history, the chronology, chronicles, chronology, right, of Israel. Makes sense, right? So here here you have the, the history of Israel, the kings of Israel, and then the kings of Judah. So what's become significant with Samaria, and I believe I'm going to tell you correctly, but that you can check and see to make sure I'm, I'm 100% accurate. Samaria was in Israel, and I believe, and this is where, where I believe it, if I remember, was in Ephraim. Was in the land of Ephraim, I believe. But it was in the Israelite kingdom. Because the kingdoms were given pieces of land according to their tribe. Has anyone ever read that? Every tribe got a section of land. They didn't all get the same section of land. Right? What was so significant about Jerusalem, or, or Judah, was Jerusalem was there. And Jerusalem was called the city of God. Well, King David took Jerusalem from one of the enemies and made that the heart of the kingdom. Ultimately, where, where they're going to put the temple. So it's the heart of the place. It's the heart of the matter. And God's heart, according to your Bible, is toward Jerusalem. His eyes are open, you know, toward Jerusalem. Is that all right, Bob? It's what the Word says. What Solomon says. When someone turned toward this place, this house, Solomon says, to Jerusalem and prayed, 
God would heal their land. Because He'd talk about them getting in all kinds of turmoil and all kinds of stuff, and then God would heal their land. Well, here Jesus comes to this Samaritan woman, and, and for years I missed this, Brother Dave. went right over my head, you know, that she was an Israelite. Well, she says, our father Jacob. You know, just to kind of pull it out even further, she calls Jacob her father. Jacob was Israel. So she was saying, our fathers, and and, we're, and you can look at all this, uh, verse 12, she said, art thou fa- greater than our father Jacob? So she was saying, we're part of Jacob. Who was Jacob's descendants? Tribes of Israel, right? He was Israel. So the tribes came out of him. So you come on down here, and you know that Jesus tells her, go call thy husband, come hither. And we already went through that part. So come, come on down here. And the woman says, verse 20, and this is what I want to get to, verse 20. She says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Samaria. And you say, she's saying to Jesus because Jesus is a Jew, you say Jerusalem is the place of worship. And here, Christians don't realize this. Israel set up a place to worship in Samaria. You know that? Started, I believe, with King Jeroboam. And Jeroboam took two gold calves, you know, when the kingdom split. Here are the Jewish people, Jew, Jew... Think about it. You think, can we reason that Jew might mean Judah? So we've taken Jew and we've applied it to all of Israel. Judah. Judah. Jew. Could that possibly be the case? So Judah had Jerusalem and Israel when they split. Initially, I believe, it says Jeroboam set up two places of worship. Two. He built two gold calves and he told them, I, I believe it's gold calves, and you go look and see if I'm right or wrong, or if it was something else he built. But he built, I believe it's Jeroboam, I believe that's his name. Is that right, Sister Joyce? I believe so. But one of the, the, one of the kings set up these idols of worship and said, these, are, these gods are who brought you out of Egypt. And the reason he did that he said, if they go back to Jerusalem, I'll lose my kingdom. They'll turn from me and they'll go back there. So he, he was doing that to keep them unto himself. Okay? To make it a people unto him. So, so here this woman comes, or Jesus comes to this woman and she's a Samaritan. And she says to him, hey, we worship in this mountain and you Jews worship in Jerusalem. And you say Jerusalem is the place of worship. And he says, yeah, it is. You know why he said, yeah, it is? Because that's where God's presence was at. Wasn't it Samaria? Because Samaria was filled with idols. In fact, what got Israel in so much trouble through the years was what? Does anybody know? What did they keep doing? Why were they harlots? Why did God call them harlots and fornicators and all the things God called them? Because they 
were worshiping everything under the sun. They were they were taking on the mind of Egyptians. They were taking on the mind of the Canaanites. He told them make no league with Canaanites. Why why was he doing that? Because they were worshiping idols. And so God was saying, have nothing to do with them, because you'll take on their mind. And that's what they did. They took on their mind. They took on their pattern, their thought. So, so here Jesus says, you worship, you know not what. So that, that has more significance to it than what we may just think. You worship, you know not what. Because they were worshiping idols in Samaria in the Old Testament. But if I haven't read my Old Testament, I don't know this. I'm clueless. Right? So if I haven't read Kings and Chronicles and Samuel and, and Deuteronomy and some of these books, if they just become stagnant in my Bible, I don't know that this Jesus coming to Samaria really means that much. So it has a whole lot more meaning than I might initially think. Then He tells her, You worship you know not what, we worship that which we know for salvation is of the Jews. Two things here. First, God was in Jerusalem. He wasn't at that time. Because God was in Christ at that time. But before the presence of God filled the temple in Jerusalem, it never filled the, the idols in Samaria. So He said, salvation's of the Jews. Why salvation of the Jews? Because who was Jesus of? The Jews. What, what do we call Him? The line of what? The tribe of Judah. So He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So salvation is of the Jews. Now here's what's significant about timelines. But the hour cometh, and now it is. Now it's a time, right? Would you not call that a time? An hour He got... If Jesus said... The hour comes and now is. That's a time when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such that the Father seek to worship Him. Now, now read back up to verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when neither in this mountain, Samaria, nor... In Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship, you know, not what we worship that which we know for salvation is the Jew, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father, Spirit, and truth. So what changed was worship was no longer going to be in Jerusalem. It was going to be in spirit and truth. I know I say this a lot. But Christians in their mind, Christians, believers, want to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. Jesus said, it's over. No more shall you worship in that mountain. True worship is in spirit and truth. That's the mountain of worship. That's Mount Zion. That's the high place of God, is the place of Spirit. 
And see, John in the book of Revelation was carried away by the Spirit to a great high mountain. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean he went up on Mount Everest. He was carried up by Spirit to the mountain of God to the place of worship. See, the, the order changed when Jesus come on the scene. What's wrong is people try to take the old order and just keep it going. That's what they've tried. And, and Christians don't have understanding. And I realize I'm lacking a lot of understanding myself. So I'm not saying everybody, I've got understanding everybody else does it. When it comes to all this history, I don't understand a lot of it. I don't know a lot of it. And knowing it's important in the book of Revelation because that, you know, to me, I believe what that book is. And, and I'm open to God changing my mind. I absolutely am. But I believe it's the time of transition. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That transition literally took place. But, it takes place in your heart and your mind. I said this yesterday in the meeting. The book, I believe, literally, this is me, is fulfilled. Not going to be fulfilled, but is fulfilled, but is relevant to you because your mind has to be changed. And Him revealed is what changes your mind. And it, it, it just like literal great earthquakes happened in those days, your earth is going to quake. Because He's going to shake up everything you believe and everything you think. And He wants to. Because He wants to give you His mind. He wants to change, a tra transform. A butterfly is transformed, right? From a caterpillar. It becomes a whole different creature. And I, and I believe that that's one of the most beautiful pictures God created in the earth is that butterfly and caterpillar. Because you have that earth dweller, that earth mind, that caterpillar of the earth, and he cocoons. He goes into a tomb. How long? Three months, Joyce says. Three parts. So, so, so that caterpillar transitions, transforms to what? A butterfly. What does the butterfly do? Flies into heaven. Moves off the earth and becomes a flying creature. That's what God wants from you is to move you out of the earth mind into a heavenly mind. And so this book of Revelation is so hard to understand is dealing with the transition of, of covenant, the transition of time, the transition of the way God's going to deal with the people. Because God has dealt with the people through the law of Moses up to this time, and now, now Jesus said the time is no more.
right? It's over. It's no more. No longer shall they worship the Father in this mountain. So how did they worship God there? They went down to the temple and they brought offerings to the temple. And they did the works of the priesthood in the temple. So now we move to a place of spirit and truth. And Jesus defines truth by Himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if I come into truth, I'm going to come into Him. So, so when I look at, at the time at hand, and then also with me look at Luke 2. Luke chapter 2. And I want you, and then we're going to look at Matthew, I think, chapter 2 briefly. But Luke 2 to start with says, Now, verse 1, came to pass in those days. Say those days. Those days. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. From who? From Caesar. Who was Caesar? Anybody know? Roman Emperor. So, so the decree came from Caesar, Augustus, and he's the Roman Empire. He's the Roman Emperor, and that all the world should be enrolled. The American Standard says King James has taxed. This was the first enrollment made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And see here, here this other name is thrown in here. Maybe we should search out Quirinius. It may give us. Maybe, maybe these names aren't in here by chance. You ever think of that? And all went to enroll themselves, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. So Joseph takes Mary, and she's highly pregnant and goes down to the city of David to enroll to be taxed. I kind of picture that in my head like the Social Security tax, right? You get enrolled when you get born, don't you? As soon as they get you in the United States, they've got an enrollment. And that beautiful Social Security number that identifies you is going to tax you. So... So Caesar, according to man's ways, is pretty smart. I'm going to get my money. I'm going to enroll them and I'm going to tax them. And every one of them is going to give their share. So here, here we go to Matthew 2. Matthew 2. Luke 2 to Matthew 2. I know. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah, here's this Judea again, in the days of Herod the king. Mark that down. Mark down Caesar and Herod. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and come to worship him. 
And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and gathering together all the chief priests. Notice who gathered with him. Chief priests or high priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ should be born. So Herod goes and says, "Uh uh-oh, I'm the king of the Jews now. And they're telling me that his stars come. Let me get these priests and the scribes, the people described, that knows the word. Gather them together, and you guys tell me where's he going to be born. And they tell him what? And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judah, Judea, for thus it is written through the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, land of Judah, art in no wise least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come forth a governor. King's coming from you who shall be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod calls the wise men, learned of them exactly what time the star appeared. So Herod's like, think to himself, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get him while he's a baby. Right? Because I'm the king. And he's threatening my kingdom. So here we, here we go. So we have Herod and Caesar, and the reason I'm pointing this out is, hey guys, you may want to search out Herod's kingdom, and you may want to search out the kingdom of Rome, and you may find some some significance in these kingdoms in the book of Revelation. And the reason I say that you know, as we go through the book of Revelation and the timelines, who, what prophet sets forth timelines? I, I almost guarantee you, in addition to Isaiah, they're searching Daniel. Because Daniel sets forth a timeline. He tells them that 70 years are, are, are determined upon this people, right? And it's, and it's 77s of years. And to understand that, I have to get into my Bible. Because if I look at it, and somebody find me that Scripture in Daniel, 70 years determined upon this people. What I mean by 77, again, in, in the Bible, you have every seventh year is supposed to be what? Anybody know what, what every seventh year was supposed to be at the Israel? A Sabbath. So they were supposed to give the land rest every seventh year. What they weren't doing was obeying the Word of the Lord. So they were worshiping idols. They were not giving a Sabbath rest to the land. So God determined 490 years upon them. So Jesus comes in this determined period of time. I don't have it all down precisely at this moment, but He comes in this determined period of time. So this determined period of time uh, starts out when they, you know, something along the lines when they give the decree to go again and build the temple. And then He tells them the temple walls will be built in troublous times and, and you can go add it up in Daniel's prophecy and you'll find 490 years. 
So somewhere uh, around 400 and some years, Jesus is born. And there's King Herod getting the scribes together to go back and look at the uh, prophets and try to figure this thing out because he's not the right player. Now, I didn't do it this morning, but I've looked up Herod before, and I may be an Arab, but I don't even know if he was a Jew. I can't remember if he was part Jew or non-part Jew or what the deal was with Herod, but he wasn't the right lineage. Go look it up. So it's significant he's sitting there and he's the king. You see, he's kind of hunky-dory with, with Rome because Rome has a king and there's a king of the Jews called Herod or governor or whatever his title is. So, you, so you've got here this sitting here. And for time's sake, I won't read everything, but Daniel sees four beasts coming out of the earth. He sees a statue. First off, he sees a statue in the times of Nebuchadnezzar because Judah had been carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. And Judah is in exile under Nebuchadnezzar. And so, so this whole ordeal with Judah really starts back with Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys the temple and takes the furniture and brings Judah under their rule. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and, and people know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to a degree, to a degree. But Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he, he's troubled. Now, I may be confused with the dreams, Kathy, because I think he had more than one dream. But this dream, if I'm right, he has this dream and he gets troubled and he tells his, his uh, music, uh, magicians, I was going to say musicians, probably told them this too. But he tells them, hey, if you don't tell me my dream, not just the interpretation of my dream, you t- you're going to tell me my dream, I'm going to kill you. So get all these wise men together and you tell them, I'm, I'm upset. I'm the king. Man, I'm mad. I don't know. I know I'm troubled. And you guys can't help me. And so here Daniel gets his buddies together. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is Wayne's way of saying it. I believe I'm telling you right. Go back and read it and see if I'm 100% accurate. And, he, and Daniel kind of holds them off from killing them and says, give us time. And he begins to seek the Lord. And he sees his dream. And he comes to the king and says, Hey, king, you had a dream. And you saw this great, what, statue? Or how, what was it, Bob? A statue or whatever. A beast rise up out of the earth and it had, its head was the head of gold. And it comes down and it gives the description of its body and its feet are as, as iron and clay mixed with the iron. And in the midst of that dream, he sees one cut out of the mountain, a stone cut out of the mountain, and he rolls down through there and he destroys that beast or idol or statue right there. I forget what he calls it there. It's in Daniel 2. But nonetheless, Daniel had this dream and he tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. Gives you a hint right there. You're the head of gold. So, so that vision that 
they have there started off with Nebuchadnezzar. And after Nebuchadnezzar, the Medes and Persians come. After the Medes and Persians came with, with Israel, you had the Greek, Grecian kingdom. And somewhere in there, the, you know, if you, if you get into any of the history of the Jews, you had a, had a little bit of a, a trouble or, or a period of time with Egypt. But there were four major kingdoms. So, so you had Babylonians, the Medes and Persians. Then you had the Greeks. And I told you uh, Caesar being on the scene had some real significance because when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you had Caesar on the scene. That was kingdom number four. Feet of iron. So, and the... He called it a great image. I had to go back and see what he called it. He called it a great image there in the first place. And later on he has a he sees four beasts rise up out of the earth. Now what we don't do in these four beasts there in Daniel are four kingdoms. Okay? In the book of Revelation you see the mark of what? The beast. If I take my Bible and my Bible interprets my Bible. These four beasts, and I'll find out, I think it's uh, maybe Daniel 9, these four beasts may have significance to the beast, the mark of the beast, because they get called a beast. The, the kingdoms are called beasts. You ever, have, you, have you ever thought about that? I have a I have a strong thought in my spirit, and I'm not not going to tell you I think it's 100% accurate. It, it may or may not be, but I have a strong thought. It's actually Daniel 7. He sees uh, these great beasts, not Daniel 9. It says these great beasts, which are four, are four kings that shall rise out of the earth. So these great beasts that Daniel sees are four kings. Four rulers. Four kingdoms. So when I go over to the book of Revelation, I start reading about the mark of the beast. Could it possibly be a mark of one of these beasts? Now, Jesus says, to one place, give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You, you ever hear him say that? I believe, if we study, the inscription of Caesar may have been on the money. The inscription of Caesar on the money could have been a mark. Could have been called a mark, right? They couldn't buy or sell without the mark. Because Caesar owned, and I'm not saying this is all that means, but Caesar was in rule, the Caesars, not there were multiple Caesars, but they were in rule over Israel. Were they not? So Israel was under the authority 
of Caesar, of Rome. Nebuchadnezzar himself later on, and, and, and I'm jumping back and forth. Nebuchadnezzar himself has, I believe, another dream or vision. I believe another dream. And he's troubled again and gets Daniel and Daniel tells him, I'm paraphrasing, you're in trouble, buddy. You, you're, you're your own dream and you're going to go live as a beast in the earth. Because he raised up in his own heart and said, I did all this myself. I'm king how great I am. And then the word of the Lord came to him and said, there's a God that puts rulers in the earth and my friend, you didn't do this yourself and I'm going to show you you didn't. So he for seven years went out and lived as a beast in the earth and lost his mind. And when he came to, he went back to his kingdom. But he went out and lived as a beast. So, so there's so much that denotes a beast relating to kingdoms in your Bible. So when I, when I try to figure out the book of Revelation, I, I believe it might pay, pay me more benefit to go to my Bible, read my Bible, trust my Bible, than somebody laying out four future things and try to figure out well, the bear is Russia, and I forget which one they say the leopard is, and this one over here is China, and all this is getting ready to be turned loose. I believe if I go read my Bible, my Bible may tell me what these things are if I search and look close enough. But I have to trust the Word of God. See, see the hard part is when you get into revelation of the Lord and you get into walking with the Lord, you, you sometimes immediately get thrown into something that you, 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 you see things different than a lot of other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Noah did. Now, I'm not saying all those people were brothers and sisters in the Lord in Noah's day. But here, Brother Noah started prophesying it's going to rain. It never rained. So those people probably thought, Noah, you're a fruitcake. You're out here building a ship. We don't even know what that thing's for. And you're telling us it's going to rain. So, 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 so when, you, when you start moving into the place of the Spirit, sometimes you may find yourself feeling like I'm alone. That's alright. You have to hear from God. You have to come to a place where you hear from the Lord. And you know you're hearing from the Lord. And it's frightening. It's frightening because because you you're out you can you get this feeling of exile kind of like John and John was really exiled but you get a feeling of exile that is that it's you and Jesus and God begins to show you things 
And then when God begins to show you things, you know, you know it may not re- relate with everybody. That's all right. I'm not saying it ain't for everybody. It may not relate with everybody. But it's all right. So, so when I look at the book of Revelation and I try to understand it, the first place I want to go to understand it is the Lord Himself. I want to lean upon the Spirit of God for He teaches me all things. So my teacher is the Lord. The second place I want to look at is His Word. So I, so I want to move my mind away from what all the projections that man may tell me and pick up my Bible and read my Bible. Because my Bible may identify things like, Behold, He cometh with clouds. I wasn't going to get there today, but I'm kind of doing a little bit higher level of things than what I initially started off with. Behold, He cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see Him, yea, even those who pierce Him. Well, I read this, and I can immediately in my mind say, well, that means He's coming with rain clouds or the big white puffy clouds, right? Now, according to Revelation, this Scripture, the one song that people sing in a lot of Christian churches, on a bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise, is wrong. Because He comes with cloud. So right out of the gate, this bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise, it's wrong. Kidding. Y'all are supposed to laugh. Only Bob got it and laughed. Anyway, I did too. Anyway, cloud comings are all through your Bible. So, so again, if I go back into my Bible and read about cloud comings, they're all through the Old Testament. And they did not mean a literal physical man was coming. God come in cloud comings in judgment over and over and over and over again. It's in your Bible. But that's where it's at. It's buried in your Bible. One of, one of the places, go to Zephaniah. I think it's chapter 2. This is a... I think chapter 2, maybe chapter 1 I'm looking for, but, but it speaks of a cloud coming, the day of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, The great day of Jehovah is near. The great day of the Lord. It is near and hasted greatly. Even the, even the voice of the day of Jehovah, the mighty man, crieth there bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wastedness and desolation, a day of darkness, gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. So a day of darkness, uh, clouds and thick darkness was coming judgment. When God came down on Mount Sinai, what did He come in? A cloud. Did He not? When God filled the tabernacle and the temple, how did He fill it? In a cloud. When God fed them manna and they looked out and saw 
the the glory of the Lord. How where'd they see it at? In a cloud. So why do we automatically then take our minds and say, well, Jesus saying, behold, I'm coming with clouds means He's coming out of rain clouds. Because, because it's only clouds we know. And two, we're not familiar with Scripture. That's the other, that's the other situation. We're not familiar with the Scripture. So, so sometimes we, we, we've taken what we, people have told us over and over again, and we've just said, okay, that's what it means. So, so then somebody says something different, and, and instead of saying, hey, this may be right or wrong, it may be wrong. You should, you should search it out and see. Go see. Now, I said this, and I want to give you, I've got about ten minutes, and I want to give you something in particular. So bear with me ten minutes. In Isaiah 61, I said this two weeks ago. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this time, Bob, I'll, I'll turn to the right book of Isaiah. At least I believe I will. Because then I did not. Yeah, I got, see, I got it right. Spirit of the Lord Jehovah, the Spirit of the Lord God, according to translation, is upon me because Jehovah hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the year of Jehovah's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And mark that day of vengeance in your heart. To comfort all them that mourn. But now you're in Isaiah 61, and I'm going to go backwards again, kind of like I did in Luke and Matthew. Go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? Somebody, somebody got it. Read it, Sister Joyce. Okay. The vision Isaiah saw concerning who? Judah and Jerusalem. Tells you when he saw them. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, Kings Judah. Remember when we started today, I said that the book of Chronicles Kings might be, you, you know, it's, it has significance to it because it's going to talk to you about these kings in Chronicles and Kings. Well, Isaiah's visions that he sees of the Lord are during the period of these kings. And the visions that he sees is toward Judah and Jerusalem because Isaiah is a prophet of Judah. He's of Judah. Now, now it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, which he becomes the line of the tribe of Judah. But he sees a day of vengeance of our God. And when Jesus gets up in Luke 4, and I won't turn there, but I will turn to Luke 21, but write down Luke 4 if you're taking notes. In Luke 4, Jesus enters the synagogue, as is the custom. And He takes the book of Isaiah and He opens to Isaiah 61, or to this place in Isaiah. I don't know that they had them laid out as chapters and verses like we do. 
But he opens it up and he reads this. But he does not read the day of vengeance of our God. Doesn't read it. But he says, Today the scriptures fulfilled in your ears. So he, he reads that he's come to comfort those that mourn. The acceptable year of the Lord, sure. But he doesn't mention the vengeance of God. And then for the for the next period of his ministry, what does he do? He said, Today this is fulfilled in your ears. Well he goes out of there. And he begins to heal the sick, raise the dead, cause deaf ears to hear, cause blind eyes to see, cast out devils. He begins to comfort those that mourn in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't apply to us today. It absolutely does. But Jesus begins to do that, and He does that in Jerusalem. Remember what Isaiah said, that His vision was concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So Jesus goes out in Jerusalem, and He begins to do all kinds of miracles. He begins to speak peace. He begins to to declare, Come unto Me, all your labor heavy laden, I will give you rest. So He begins to bring a different order in Judea. You, 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 you hear what I'm saying? He literally fulfills this. He does this. He comforts those that mourn. Luke 21. But He doesn't say there, these are days of vengeance. But Luke 21 He makes, to me, this pretty plain. Verse 20. And you can go back and read all this. He says to them, But when you see Jerusalem... Remember Isaiah's prophecy was concerning who? Judah and Jerusalem. Jesus says, When you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that her desolation is at hand. Then let them that are in Judea flee into the mountains. And let them that are in the midst of her get out, depart out. And let not them that are that are in the country enter therein, for these are the days of what? Vengeance. That all things which are written. How much? How much did He say? All things which are written shall be fulfilled. So He says, these are the days of vengeance. In Matthew 24, without turning there, He says to them when He walks out of the temple, and they begin to show Him the temple, He says, hey guys, not one stone going to be left upon another. And he was speaking of the temple there that day. So he walks out of the temple. It tells you he comes out of the temple. He tells them, I believe it's in Matthew 24, it's recorded in Matthew 23. He says, now your house is left you desolate. And I, and I saw something there, Brother Dave, I want to scream. Sometimes I do scream. But I want to, I want to scream because... Their glory cloud entered back into it. 
Jesus came into their temple. Their Ark of the Covenant that had been missing came back in. But it didn't come as this wooden furniture. It didn't come as this, as this cloud like they had seen. He came into the temple and He had told them that God was in Him. The glory cloud of God was dwelling inside of Christ and He entered the temple. And when He left that temple, He told them, He said, Now your house is left to you desolate. And He left. And, he, and he, then he goes on and tells them, this generation shall not pass away to all be fulfilled. But look at, read this in Luke again. These are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Well, Jesus was speaking about that temple there, then all that written by the prophets was also speaking of, of what was going on in natural Israel and up to that time right here, when Jesus tells them, these are the days of vengeance when all the things written shall be fulfilled. And He's speaking to the Jewish nation. The Bible actually says He came to His own. And His own received Him not, right? He came to the Jews. This goes all the way back to Moses. Moses prophesied that God was going to raise up a prophet. Did you, have you ever read this? Like unto, his, like unto me or like unto you, your brethren, him you better hear. If you do not hear that prophet, that's in the book of Deuteronomy, it will be required of you. This is where it's fulfilled. Because they did not hear him. Jesus said, if you believe, if you believe not that I am he, who? I'm the prophet Moses prophesied of. I'm the one Isaiah declared. I'm whom Jeremiah declared. You can go on and on. If you believe not that I am He, you'll die in your sins. And so He tells the Jews there, He says, when you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, get out. Her destruction's at hand. And this is where I'm coming to. So John says the time is at hand. What time? The day of vengeance of our God. That's what time John was looking at, I do believe, is this time is now at hand. And he writes in 1 John, as we said a couple weeks ago, this is the last hour. This is the last time. As you... You have heard, Antichrist shall come. Many Antichrists have come. Therefore, it is the last hour. He was speaking of that old temple. Now, I know I'm, I'm, over, I'm going to be over 60 minutes. Give me five more minutes. I'm at 60 right now. And I'm stopping. I really am. Here's the problem that we have. Darlene, you got a problem with I knew I'd get you to smile. That's why I used you. The problem we have is we don't want to come out of that old temple. We don't want to believe it's done. 
in understanding. So, 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 did you say, well, Brother Wayne, what, what is there, what's next? The glory of God. That's what's next. His glory. Filling you full of Himself. See, see, I'm telling you, when you come away from some of those ideas, at least this is what's happened to me, and, and God begins to affect the way you think about things. Because when, when He affects your mind, He's affecting your mind how you think. It affects you. And, and the way it's affected me is, is joy, peace, love, gentleness. I tell you, I have all of those just working all the time. But it's brought great peace in my heart. I, instead of me wanting to condemn my brother, I want to pick my brothers up and bring them into this Word. I, I, I see Christians a lot of times wanting to fight, battle, devour one another all over the place, all over the land. You don't believe like I do. But what, what His nature begins to do is shift your mind, shift your heart, shift your, your thinking. And you and, and instead of you wanting to condemn, cast down, beat up, you want to pick up, build up, give life. And part of that comes with coming to the Spirit. I'm going to take this off and 